Back in January 2018, I went on a short holiday to Hong Kong. I went to a district of town famous for its fabric shops and tried to clumsily communicate what I wanted to a middle-aged woman behind the counter. When it became clear that neither of us could quite communicate with one another, she kindly went to the back to get her son. Out came a bespectacled man in his late twenties, and he spoke to me asking what I was looking for. As we exchanged words, I realised he had a decidedly Australian twang to his vowels, and he'd noticed the same for me as he asked if I was Australian. Turns out, this young man had not only studied in Australia for university, he had in fact studied at my same university, in my same hometown. He even asked me about whether a famous student haunt, a takeaway joint that pretty much everyone has gone to on a night out, was still open. It was the first time that I was exposed to the life of an international student when they came back to their home country after studying. Education is Australia's third largest export, with international students making up at least a quarter of enrolments at universities across Australia. Most international students come from the Asia-Pacific, with 30% coming from China and 13% from India, amongst other countries. The industry generates $34 billion to the Australian economy, and recently there have been a lot of discussions about universities using these students as cash cows, since the student experience is not always a good one, and yet the fees students pay are consistently high. I set out to find out how students are negotiating with the enormity of moving overseas for study, if Australian universities and governments are doing an adequate job of looking after the diverse needs of this important body of people, and debating the ethics of the industry altogether. So my name is Hazel. Um, I'm originally from Singapore and I've been here in Australia for about three years. I am the president of the International Students Department of ANUSA. Even coming from a pretty westernized Asian country like Singapore, I do get culture shock. So furthermore, people coming from other countries who are not as westernized as Singapore is, I would assume it's probably going to be quite daunting, especially if English is not their first language. It's going to be difficult. My name is Song Hao Tian. I come from the northwest part of China. The thing I can tell you is about some Chinese students because most of my friends is come from China. The challenge for me is the language. I spend a lot of time to speak English, to practice English. This year, I almost have the 10 years experience to speak English, but the English we taught from primary school or the senior high school is a totally different. Uh, there's tons of students come from China, actually. So it's like three, four students actually come from China. So uh, after the course, we use Chinese to talk with each other. I'm talking to Dr. Helen Forbes-Mewitt from Monash University. Thanks, Rena. Yes, I'm a senior lecturer and researcher in the School of Social Sciences at Monash University. For well over a decade, I've been conducting research on international student well-being, international education and other migrant groups. I think it's about lacking those traditional supports that students would normally have. 
generally, I think we could say university students have supports of families or friends or networks that are long established and international students are removed from those to an extent. They do the best they can by distance to keep those connections. But I think that's probably the biggest hurdle that they have is that that distance and in a sense it creates for them a cultural loneliness. For myself and other international students, what we we'll always do is we go to our national clubs in ANU because it's home away from home for us. But at the same time with that, people tend to fall into a comfort zone. So they just ignore the cultural differences and just focused on what's comfortable. You know, is it kind of a circle like... If you are new in here and you will meet some people like come from China. So basically they will tell you something about the regulations of stuff yeah. from the school. If they say AU is a smoke free campus, yeah. from my perspective, smoke free for me, the smoke is free. So I kind of smoke everywhere, you know. So this is the way that I think. Yeah. But the people who come from China, they always told me, no, 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 they just want you don't smoke. We have WeChat. Yeah, it's like yeah. the message or the Facebook yeah. stuff. And then we have the group chat. The group chat is always the thing that I have. all the Chinese people, they tie together for helping each other. I think particularly over the last 10 years, there's been increasing number of programs being introduced to assist students. There's also lots of focus on trying to get more integration with local students, which I think is a quite a difficult thing, really, particularly when people do like to hang around with those who are like them. It's a very normal and natural human trait that we all like to do that. So I think we need to allow that to happen as well. From my experience, many of the universities are already got programs in place to support the students. And it's often about trying to bridge that gap between educating the students that it is okay to seek out those helps. The support services may be there, but the international students may not recognise them as being particularly useful for them. So I think there probably needs to be a little bit more trying to bring those two things together. And that means perhaps approaching things slightly different, very big shifting to, to go on. And I do see, I feel quite positive about that because I have seen some examples of that fairly recently. Do you think enough is being done to address that cultural bridge and that challenge in Australian universities? Uh, I would say no, because there are a lot of times where I've heard about how domestic students don't know how to approach international students and international students don't know how to approach domestic students. And I guess I feel like there shouldn't be this clear distinction between are you domestic or international? I mean, we're just all students after all, isn't it? Firstly, is to break down that whole distinction between your international and domestic like apart from the fees there shouldn't be so much of a difference and to provide more support in the sense of like um, conversations about how we can break down barriers because yeah I feel like it's not something one person can do it's something that the whole university have to. Dr Helen Forbes Mewitt, Hazel and Song all mentioned that gravitating towards communities that you are culturally familiar with tends to happen. So perhaps engaging with those communities and trying to disseminate information about services and resources through them could enhance student experiences. Song's use of the messaging app WeChat 
exemplified the rapidity with which the Chinese international student body could network with one another while navigating their way through university life in Australia. I actually think that a lot of the student organisations are very good at doing that and that they have a lot of connections. I think universities lean towards a more formal, accountable provision of service and support, whereas these other groups are more organic, I suppose, in a way, in that they are set up by students for students in a lot of cases, and uh, I think they have an important role to play. I would imagine that is something that the different student associations, people who would be spreading the word about those informal networks. It became clear through interviews and research that international students is a word to describe an enormous amount of people coming from an enormous range of backgrounds. The responses to my questions varied a great deal. This variety of experience and approach to my questions revealed to me that answering to students' needs in the international education sector has to be done on multiple levels. There is no one institution, university or government department that can assist with English language barriers, cultural barriers or other challenges that international students are confronted with, but rather a multidimensional approach would be best. Perhaps spreading knowledge for services that help to bridge cultural barriers and language barriers between international students and domestic students could happen through social media and informal networks. I came to this podcast with a feeling of unease surrounding the ethics of having an education industry centred around flows of students coming to Australia and being interested in their welfare so long as it relates to the Australian economy. In 2009, the Minister then for Education, Julia Gillard, said the two key areas of focus for Australia's international education sector were to continue to enhance our quality education and training system and ensure that Australia's reputation for world-class education is maintained and strengthened, as well as further improving student experiences, particularly students' living experiences and safety. Would you say it's ethical to want to accommodate to students' needs only so long as it relates to Australia's economy, given that education is Australia's third biggest export? I think it's ethical to play up to the needs to look up after students' properly, but also I think it is an economic requirement, but I also think it is a a moral requirement as well. And that just as one group of people caring about another group of people, that, you know, I do think that we have a responsibility if we do bring the students here or make it possible for them to come here and undertake their education, that we do provide well for their their safety and security. So I don't see anything unethical about making that statement. If Australia is benefiting from these students, and we certainly are, and no doubt the students are benefiting from their education, I don't really see anything particularly unethical about us providing well for them. I think we have a responsibility in a sense. Uh, we have this kind of a, a concept in finance or economic invisible hand. It means... Everything you've done for this society, even you use the purpose for yourself. For example, you want earn money, yeah. and you just open the store. Yeah. 
Yeah, you just want to earn money. Actually, you you have really good profit or benefit from this. But in the end, there is a one invisible hand for you to push you your personal goal to the society goal.、Yeah. So basically, the thing you done is for yourself.、Yeah. But in the end, this is should be the benefit for the whole society. So,、uh, I come from for study, right? But they also invisible hand for push for the economic purpose. So I have to spend money here. And this should be the first、uh, support for me to come here.、Yeah. Uh, my parents gonna send me money. Our school fees like、uh, two times of the domestic students.、Yeah. Uh, that's fine for us. Yeah. Cause I come here means I have this ability for the for the school fees. Speaking from a economic political point of view, yes. But then again, I feel like definitely it needs to be understood that you know it's human rights as well. We're not just a number. We can't be seen to just focus on the economic side of it. That certainly won't help our reputation. So, therefore, the economic side of it will、uh, will deteriorate in a sense if we're not seen to be providing、um, properly for for the international students that come here. I think it's quite closely entwined. Having spoken to all three interviewees today. I realise that inevitably the economic dimension will be discussed again and again, since our economy is so dependent on this export. However, as Dr. Helen Forbes Mewitt said, the mutual benefit of providing quality education to international students in exchange for economic benefit is ethical, because it's combined with the responsibility of catering to students' needs in a balanced and multi-level way. The two don't necessarily cancel each other out. The importance of keeping this economy alive and thriving will mean that, in years to come, Australia's connection with the Asia Pacific can be strengthened too through those interpersonal relationships formed during university years. Person-to-person -person contact between domestic and international students will foster the cultural richness and diversity that my interviewees spoke about, and perhaps more Australians will stumble into small fabric shops across Asia and the Pacific, only to meet their fellow alumni and discuss student takeaway joints. From their university days. <laughs>